Welcome to the Intentional Encourager podcast, where each episode brings you compelling conversations and stories designed to entertain, enlighten, and encourage. And now here's your host, Brian Sexton. And welcome into the Intentional Encourager podcast. I'm your host, Brian Sexton, and thank you for joining us again today. A little bit different setup. Sometimes it's good to change things up. But I wanted to match the decor of my friend and guest today, Marshall Wilson. Marshall is a West Virginia State delegate. He's currently a sitting delegate until January when his term expires. And the reason is, is because he was an independent candidate right in for governor of the state of West Virginia this year. He is a military leader, a planner, um, so many things that that he's going to tell us about. But most importantly, he's my friend. And he is a patriot and a loyal uh, servant to the United States of America and to our country, or into our state, I should say. And so it's my honor to welcome Marshall Wilson to the Intentional Encourager podcast. Marshall, how are you today? I'm doing great, Brian. Thanks for making time for me. It's an honor to be here. I mean, it's an honor for me to have you. You and I have, have known each other throughout this year. We, we actually first met in January through a mutual friend of ours, Alan Witt, who's yes, the president of the West Virginia Family Policy Council. Alan had you and I stand with him as he was filing to run for the United States Senate against Shelley Moore Capito, our incumbent senator from West Virginia. And so that's where I first met you. But I, I have had had my eye on you for a while. And we have a mutual friend, Tom Roten, as well. Yes, sir. But I, I want to ask you this. I want you to to step back for just a moment because here's where I'd normally start podcasts. I want to I want to get down to where we live right now. How is this pandemic? What what have you learned through this pandemic about maybe the the world around us or society or things like that? Because everybody's handling things differently, Marshall. Everybody has different situations and circumstances. What's the biggest lesson and takeaway that you've taken away from this pandemic? Brian, I've been dismayed to discover that many of my countrymen, many of my neighbors, um, they're willing to cede vast amounts of their own personal authority. And of course, authority over yourself is liberty. That is what liberty is. So they're willing to cede their liberty to the government in the form of authority over the decisions they should make for themselves. Um, I've been dismayed by that. It, it's, it's, to me, it's dumbfounding. Mm-hmm. Um, the government exists for one reason and one reason only, which is to uphold and defend your individual natural rights. That's it. That's the only reason we have a government. If you think I'm wrong, please go look at the Declaration of Independence where it says very clearly, we hold these truths to be self-evident. All men are created equal. That's one truth we hold to be self-evident. They're endowed by their creator with certain inalienable rights. That's another truth we hold to be self-evident. Mm-hmm. To secure these rights, governments are instituted among men. The founders of the United States of America found that truth to be self-evident. It didn't require any discussion. It was obvious to them. And it's obvious to me, and I believe to a number of our countrymen and our neighbors, but I've been dismayed to discover the number of people in our state who will simply give over control of their own lives to someone who claims to care about them, mm-hmm. who has done nothing to demonstrate that they care about them, who has demonstrated done nothing to demonstrate that they have any leadership capabilities, that they're honest, that they're trustworthy, 
Um, and yet the people of this state, not all of them, but in mass, have ceded that authority to the government. Uh, it's, it, I, I don't even know how to respond to that, except to keep doing what I'm doing, which is to remind people who they are, that we are free mountaineers, that we are created and endowed by our creator with certain unalienable rights. And those light, rights include life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And an, uh, a critical component of the pursuit of happiness is the right to dispose of your private property as you see fit. Uh, you know, until until we have reestablished that as the foundation for our discussion, nothing else makes any sense. Well, and here's the thing, too, Marshall, is that a lot of decisions, and I said this very early on in a post on LinkedIn, that I sensed that there was something afoot called feardership. Yep. It was leading by fear, first and foremost, and, and great leaders. I don't care who is listening to this conversation. If you're a leader and you're leading fearfully, you're not leading at all. The Army actually calls that toxic leadership. In other words, ineffective leadership, poor leadership, weak leadership. And uh, leaders who are toxic and refuse to grow and change are fired. They're removed from their positions and their careers are ended. And, and you know, Marshall, that's, a, that's such a great point, toxic leadership, because no one knows how to operate in these situations. Some of this, we, we are literally, as, as we would do in West Virginia, the old farmers would, would take their, their, lick the tip of their finger and see which way the wind blew to kind of give them a determination of where to plant the crop that year or, or to do something like that. And so we, we have taken that, that stance in a pandemic. And I love what you said there about the army, our United States military, would remove people from leadership that exhibited that. The army was swift and decisive. Why do you think it has been that we have not had leadership, whether it's been in companies or in governments, that have not acted decisively as our United States military, as you so eloquently put it, acts decisively? Well, I, I, thanks for asking. That's actually a great question. And the simple fact of the matter is that decisive... You know, I try, my friend. I try to ask <laughs> a, a good question. That is, an amazingly, that is an excellent question. So uh, decisiveness, true leadership, is a function of courage. Courage is the natural result of realizing, of recognizing that something is more valuable than you yourself are. That's wow. it. So there is a uh, profound dearth, a lack of courage in our, in, our, in our culture these days, in our entire society, not just here in West Virginia, not just in the government of West Virginia, but throughout our, our culture, we are shot through with a, a lack of courage. And courage is not bravado. Look, I'm a combat veteran. I spent 20 years leading troops in the infantry. I've seen courage. I've seen bravado. I've seen the whole, you know, let's stomp around and make a bunch of noise and act like we're cool. I reject that out of hand. But I have seen men calmly and women calmly, dispassionately make decisions that put themselves in severe danger. And some of them paid a severe price for it because they recognized that something needed to be done. It had to be done. And they were there. They may not have been the best qualified person. They may not have had the best plan, but they were there and they accepted responsibility because they had courage. That is leadership. 
Courage is a function of recognizing that something else is more valuable than you yourself are. I'm going to go here for just a second. And, and Marshall, I typically, when I do these podcasts, I, I am very much apolitical because I want to reach a broad spectrum of people. Encouragement, yes. encouragement is universal. doesn't matter if you're Republican or Democrat, independent. doesn't matter if you're, you're black, white, Asian, Hispanic. If you're a human it, being. Exactly. If you're a human being, you, encouragement is universal. Yes, sir. But I want to say this. I have seen so many leaders in government and in business fail to encourage the citizenry and, and their people because what happens is, and, and I believe this, Marshall, I believe that the reason that we're seeing governments on a state and local level acting the way that they are is that no one wants to, to bear the brunt of responsibility for a perceived lack of inaction. So in other words, if we had not had mandates that, that forced citizens to wear masks and things like that, and you can believe whatever you want to believe about wearing a mask or not wearing a mask, that's not what the discussion is about. Here's where I'm taking us. The simple fact of the matter is I believe that most of these things were done as a, a Teflon mechanism so that criticism, so that a leader couldn't say, well, I did everything that I could do. Right. I tried to protect the citizenry. I, that's what I swore an oath to do. And many times, Marshall, that's not what they were sworn an oath to do. No. You cannot protect every citizen from their own individual rights to, as you mentioned a moment ago, to have life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. My government can't protect me from a car accident, nor can my government protect me from getting cancer, right. nor can my government protect me from getting diabetes. Forgive me for preaching a minute, but I, I just have seen this, this, this perception of, and I think it's, it's translating into other forms of leadership, is that we're going into overprotect mode because we don't ultimately want to be held responsible for the decision that someone individually makes that they will then, when it turns out badly, go, you should have protected me, big, big, mighty company, big, mighty government, because of our, lit our, our litigious society. I know I've said a mouthful there. I want you to respond to that. Okay. And, and well, what you're seeing as well, too, because I, I think, been in I those think what you really I think what you've really done is just given the context for the statement I made a while ago. It's a lack of culture, a, a lack of courage. The fact of the matter is people refuse to accept responsibility because they're afraid of the consequences. They're afraid to be, you know, maligned in the press. They're afraid to, you know, be sued or whatever. Well, the simple fact of the matter is that fear, Winston Churchill said, never take the counsel of your fears. I'm not saying that fear is, uh, is useless. I mean, the Lord gave us a reason that we could feel fear, but the idea behind fear is to bring your attention to something so that you can then do something about it. Now, the problem is that you need to do the right thing about it. Right now, we've got people who are so afraid of being wrong that they're unwilling to do what's right. Yeah. And so they do what other people tell them to do so that they can then pawn off that responsibility to someone else and say, well, all I did was what the experts told me to do. Well, which yeah. experts? How did you choose those experts? You know, I'm not an epidemiologist, but
But if I am an expert in anything, it's in strategic planning, uh, strategic and operational planning, especially emergency operations planning. And also in, uh, you know, I have a master's in national security with a focus on how free societies devolve into totalitarianism. So if we're going to listen to the experts, I've been listening to the experts for years, and they say we are devolving into totalitarianism, and that's the real threat. The real threat you, is, go ahead. Let me ask you this, yes, because sir. you you have you sparked something there that I, I, I had to follow up on with you. You talk about strategic planning and decision making, and I don't care if you're in the military or you're in a business, large or small, or you're in government. If you cannot strategically plan, you're not you are going to have a 0.00% chance of success because nothing just falls out of the sky. And, and Marshall, I want to ask you this, and, it, and it's probably a simple yes or no answer. In, in looking at leadership and studying leadership, as you mentioned, in the United States Army, from, from great men and women, and you talked about the, the bravado sometimes and things like that, have you ever seen a great decision made based solely in fear? No, absolutely not. As a matter of fact, fear is the, the common denominator in almost every cataclysmic decision I've ever seen made. Fear was the motivating factor for almost every cataclysmic decision I've ever seen made. So, so good. So good. I, I want to transition here for just a moment. Your, your story, we will, we will, we're, we're now going to transition to your story because I want folks to, to understand you and I saw that. Oh my, you know, yeah. <laughs> I'm a weird dude, Brian. I'm a really weird guy. You know what? This podcast was made for you. Look at the host of this thing, man. Do you want to talk about, Hey, yeah. I'm the only guy that'll rock a Cincinnati Bengals sweatshirt after, after they got trounced 36 to 10 on Sunday. Speaking of courage. Well, you know, <laughs> no, it's just called, you can't help your raising that. That's all it is. I was raised to be a Cincinnati Bengals fan. So I, well, I'll pray know, for you. I know misery very well. <laughs> I should say I'm a man of constant sorrow as the old movie, Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Yeah. 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 Marshall, you, you came to this state and you decided to do something pretty brave. And I've said this, you know, there are a lot of great men and women who will listen to this podcast and they'll say, I have thought about running for political office. And I think the greatest thing that, that inhibits great men and women from running for political office is one thing, and that's money. Because our, our, our founding fathers, and I've said this to people, I said, look, our founding fathers never intended for the wealthy to govern because they came from a society in England where the wealthy governed. And, so, and there's your history lesson for the day, by the way, if you're listening to this podcast. But when you came to, the, to, to West Virginia, what was the main impetus for you to want to be involved in state government? Because <laughs> you went to state government and, and you went there for a purpose. You were intentional, as this podcast is, is named the Intentional Encourager podcast. You were intentional about you, what you wanted to do. But what was the decision to say, I'm going to run for state government here in West Virginia? Well, let me give a little context if I've got a minute. Um, You've got, I mean, I, according to my watch, the, the floor is yours for the next 25 minutes or so. Thanks, Brian. Okay, so <laughs> I want to clarify something. Uh, I am from another state. I grew up in Louisiana, Mississippi, and North Carolina. 
Uh, my dad was military and then he was in college and then he was in seminary. He went to Wake Forest Seminary. So we moved up to North Carolina and then he was a traveling preacher and then he was a pastor. Um, so, you know, I've, I've heard a lot of people say that I'm a carpetbagger. Well, first of all, I'm from a lot farther south than we are right now. So, you know. Yeah, you know, and, and let me put some geographical context in this. Yeah. Marshall and I live about five and a half hours away from each other. We're in the same state. Right. But it is closer for me. I can be to Cincinnati, Ohio, Louisville, Kentucky, Lexington, Kentucky, Charlotte, North Carolina, Raleigh, North Carolina, uh, Baltimore, almost to Baltimore, Maryland. Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, Cleveland, and Columbus, Ohio, before I can get to Marshall Wilson. In fact, if I would go to Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, I would probably have time to sit down and eat a meal in the same amount of time it would take me to get from my driveway to his. That's how elongated our state is. So, yes. yeah, I, just for, for those that may not be geographically familiar with the state of West Virginia, and you should be, come visit us and leave your yes, tourist come dollars. See us. It's a great place. <laughs> The people are amazing, and the terrain is stunningly gorgeous. It Man, is. I've lived all over the world. I have lived all over the world, and I've seen some some beautiful places. Europe, uh, South America, Middle East, I've seen some beautiful. I've been to the Far East. I've seen some stunning stuff. There is nothing more beautiful than West Virginia, and there are no people better than West Virginians. And by the way, uh, if you're listening and you're a member of the tourism division of the state of West Virginia, the email address is the intentional encourager podcast at gmail.com. So feel free to, to send, send your guy a little, little PayPal blessing here, but no, you, what made you decide to run when okay, you got so, to the state and you, and you began living here, what made you decide to run for state government? So I, I moved to West Virginia from Louisiana because I married a girl who lived here and, um, uh, I like her a lot. And, uh, the only thing she put up with all of my insanity and all of my crazy ideas and everything. And the only thing she asked of me was that I moved to West Virginia, which of course I gladly did because she's amazing. So I moved to the Eastern Panhandle and uh, married her and live here with her. And uh, it was never my intent to enter politics. I've been either a soldier or a preacher my entire adult life. Um, and as such, I never actively or publicly engaged in politics because, you know, as a soldier, I wasn't allowed to. And as a preacher, I, I felt that it was my duty to focus on, on the higher mission. Uh, of course, I was a missionary in the Amazon jungle as well, so that kind of took me out of the country for years, which made it impossible for me to engage. But I got to West Virginia, and uh, a friend from church uh, mentioned to me uh, a particular, it's, it's called the Convention of States Project of P Citizens for Self-Governance. Now, there are various proposals for conventions of states, but this particular one is called the Convention of States Project of Citizens for Self-Governance. I became very interested in it and became a grassroots member of the organization trying to get it passed in our legislature. And as such, I went to Charleston one day simply to watch them argue about it. I went to the Judiciary Committee and was, was horrified and livid by the time that I left at the silliness that went on. And, you know, the fact is I had just come home from Iraq. I had commanded 130 men in combat. And, uh, you know, I had brothers and sisters who gave more than anybody should ever be asked to give mm -hmm. to uphold our constitution and our constitution was created to uphold and defend our individual natural rights and i sat in these committee meetings 
and went to the floor session and listened, not just specifically about convention of states, but the entire process. And I thought these people are making a mockery of everything that my friends gave everything they had for. Yes. And I want you to understand it's not, I'm not the only military member of my family. I have a wife who's in the Navy and has been for a long time and a daughter who's in the Navy and has been for, for a number of years. And I've got a son who is, you know, working on becoming a Marine. So this is not a joke to me. This is not, you know, some personal issue. It's, it's a foundational and critical issue. So I got home, like you said, five and a half hours later. Yeah. And you have to understand, Brian, I'm, I'm not an angry guy. I'm, I'm, if I had my choice, I would spend the rest of my life reading books, drinking coffee, and making silly jokes. That would be my life. Hey, everybody, Brian Sexton here. I want to tell you about our sponsor, SEO National. SEO stands for Search Engine Optimization. Now, what's that, you might say? Well, Search Engine Optimization helps you show up higher on search engines in front of paying customers for words that you, as a business owner, can monetize. What a great concept. SEO National is owned by my good buddy, Damon Burton, who's been a guest here on the Intentional Encourager podcast. Not only has Damon and his team worked with businesses of all sizes, from e-commerce startups to NBA teams and Shark Tank featured businesses, but more importantly, Damon and his team are about transparency, trust, and providing lifetime value. So much so that he still has his first customers after opening SEO National 14 years ago. Let me give you some intentional encouragement and call Damon and his team today at 855-736-6285 or go to www.seonational.com and get a free quote. You're the one of the most well-spoken and thought-out people I know. You, you well, I, I, I know I know that about you and 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 I wanted to interject there. Thank you and your family for your service to this country. I think, I believe, and I'm trying to to teach my 20 year old son that any time that it, it, that someone who has served our country actively or inactively, honorably discharged, um, should be thanked for their service. So thank you and your family for for your service. We we just think we're doing our job. That's all. Just doing what we're supposed to do. But thank you. Um, I appreciate you remembering my family. Um, so I got home five and a half hours later. And like I said, I'm not an angry guy. I don't walk around mad. It actually takes a lot to get me riled up. Mm -hmm. I got home and I was still angry about the way that these people had treated everything that I hold dear. And, uh, you know, got home, my wife met me and she said, you know, what's bothering you? And I told her. And she said, well, you need to do something about this. I <laughs> said, so, what am I going to do? I mean, you know, I mean, my skill sets, I'm a soldier and I'm a preacher. You know, what, what do you want me to do? I, you know, I, I don't, I don't have the training. I don't have the background to become a politician. And she said, well, you know, how do you know? What's, what are the background of training? I said, well, I don't have a poli-sci degree. You know, I haven't, I haven't spent time as somebody's uh, intern or, you know, any of that stuff. And uh, I mean, I, I I took a 10th grade civics class and then I spent my life in service to the constitution. And she said, well, I think you're qualified. You should run. Shortly thereafter, uh, my delegate uh, announced that he was running for state treasurer, which meant that he was not running for, uh, for reelection. So Julie sent me the link to the secretary of state's website where it tells you how to become a candidate. 
And uh, <laughs> knowing, knowing that she was not going to let this issue go, I signed up thinking there was not a chance in the world that I would win. I had no money. I'm a foreigner. I'm from Louisiana. I had no money, no name recognition. Uh, the guy I was running against was actually the chairman of the Berkeley County Republican Executive Committee who had all the name recognition, all the money. He had billboards. He had, uh, you know, um, advertisements and all this kind of stuff on, on radio. And, and I had none of that. What I did have was I'm an honest man who loves the Constitution. So I walked around my neighborhood. Well, actually, I had to drive around because where I live, you can't, you know, it's kind of hard to walk. Yeah. Door to door. yeah, we're kind of spread out and we like it that way. But uh, I drove around Southern Berkeley County and just knocked on people's doors and said, hi, I'm Marshall. I'm a dad. I'm a husband. I'm a combat veteran. I'm a former missionary. I love the Constitution. Uh, would you hire me to be your delegate? I'd like to ask you to consider hiring me to be your delegate. And they did. They did. People yep. apparently, based on all my experience, are just looking for a guy who is honest and who will stand up for their, their constitutional rights. That's it. And then I was uh, reelected two years later in 2018. And uh, I decided not to run for reelection because my family had, you know, I, I told them, I said, this is a limited thing. You're not supposed to be a politician for life. And uh, I left the Republican Party because I think things that you and I have talked about before, I don't know if you want me to go into that, but uh, effectively the leadership of the West Virginia Republican Party convinced me that they were corrupt and that they had no intention of doing anything about their, their profound corruption. Yeah. So I uh, changed my affiliation to independent because I simply cannot be associated with that level of corruption. Well, and, and again, it takes, Marshall, it takes conviction. And I'm glad you mentioned that because if you hadn't, I was. Because I think what we lack today in, in, in our society, professionally, personally, is we lack intentional conviction. We lack the ability to say, I am going, and I was sharing this, I'll share this with you. I hadn't shared this with you, but I'll share it on, the, on this podcast. I had a conversation with someone recently. And we were talking and I said to them, I'd rather be a contrarian than a copycat. I would rather be someone who is against the grain than to go with the grain. Was that a difficult decision for you to go, I'm going to break away from the Republican Party because they don't align with my values or was it for you very easy? Well, first of all, I'd like to address the kind of the setup you gave there, um, Socrates said that the unexamined life is not worth living. You know, you're talking about living intentionally and making intentional decisions. Well, the unintentional life, the un unexamined life is not worth living, according to Socrates, and I agree with him. Um, it was not a hard decision in that it was not hard to figure out what was the right thing to do. Mm -hmm. It was a hard decision in that I realized that in making the statements that would be necessary in answering the questions and explaining my actions, I would have to make statements that would reflect poorly on friends of mine who I trust and who I respect. That's the only reason it was a problem. There are people serving in our legislature who are honorable, decent, good people who are no trying question. really hard to trying really hard to uphold and defend our constitution and your individual natural rights, but they're just as beaten down as you and I are. They're just yes. as, you know, they, they're putting up with it. They're doing the best they can to wade through the swamp and they are getting dragged under on a daily basis. Um, 
And I have actually contacted most of them personally and said, I am not talking about you. I'm talking about the leadership of the West Virginia GOP. Yeah. And we, and in our state, Marshall, we have, we have a fractured, we, we do, we have very much a fractured political system in our state. And, and for those of you listening, and I joke about living in West Virginia, look, you, you either, you either could laugh or cry and, and, and we own it. We own what we have here, but I'll tell you this. I don't worry about crime in my backyard. I don't worry about traffic. If I, if I want to run to Barbersville, as we say here, or you want to run to Martinsburg, we just get in the car and go. And, and so we, there's a lot of advantages in living in a state of 1.8 million people. I want to pivot here for just a moment. You made a very calculated and honorable decision back in, in late May and early June after the primary season had finished here that you were going to take the next step in, in, in serving this state and you decided to become a candidate for governor of the state of West Virginia. And I had people that, that I knew that said, why did he take this route? And I explained to them why you took the route that you took. When you sat and thought about that next step, again, let me ask you this, because for some people that would be a hard decision because they would say, what if I win? Now I've got it, you know, the next four years of my life are tied up as, as the governor of the state. Or some people use it as a stepping stone. We have seen politically over the years that becoming a governor of the state puts you in certain political positions and things like that. For you, what was the impetus for you to run and take that next step to run for governor of the state of West Virginia? I simply did a strategic analysis of our options and uh, projected out uh, what our state would look like if either one of the major party candidates won. Uh, when I, once I'd done that, once I'd completed that analysis, it was very clear to me that what we needed was a constitutionalist. Uh, there was one who ran in the Republican primary. He was not able to pull off the nomination. Uh, that left us with one option. That's it. That was the decision process. I looked at where my kids, the state that my kids would live in if uh, we didn't have someone who would uphold and defend the Constitution and uh, projected based on what I was looking at at that time that sooner or later there would be a mask mandate. Sooner or later there would be a mandate that businesses be shut down. Sooner or later there would be utter control of our society by people whose intent and whose capabilities I do not trust. And uh, I didn't want my kids to live in that. And I, I want my kids to raise their kids in a free, just, prosperous, and secure society. And, uh, you know, once again, there's a mission. I'm the guy standing here. And I'm let not, me may not be the best guy for the job, but I'm the guy standing here who has the understanding of the mission. And I'm going to take up the ball and run with it. And that's what I did. And let me clarify that you, you did something miraculous. And, and I, I want to I want to say this to you because I haven't got the chance to say this to you, but but now the, on the podcast is as good a time as any. You did something miraculous. You did a total write-in candidacy campaign because the West Virginia Supreme Court denied you ballot access based on mandates and things like that, and and it would take us another hour and I want to be respectful of Marshall's time. Well, I, I want to, I want to be really clear about this, Brian, excuse me. Uh, two things. First no, of go all, ahead. if something miraculous happens, obviously I didn't do it. 
because I'm not a member. That's board. right. Yeah. Yeah. And the other thing is that uh, uh, it wasn't the Supreme Court who denied us that. Now, I understand why you're going there. If you give me just a second, I'll lay it out. Absolutely. Go ahead. Um, Go ahead. The reason that I went to the Supreme Court was not to give me ballot access. The reason I went to the West Virginia Supreme Court of Appeals was to compel Governor Justice to function according to the Constitution and to cease his unconstitutional activities. And they shrugged and said, this isn't our problem. That's what happened. Wow. Now, they did that based on a brief filed by Attorney General Patrick Morrissey, which basically said, this is not the Supreme Court's uh, bailiwick. You don't have any business looking into this. And the Supreme Court said, oh, phew, thank God somebody made that <laughs> argument for us. We don't have to deal with this. Seriously. Talk about the, the total usurping of authority. I mean, that, yeah. that would be like, oh, okay, and, and I have seen in companies, I have seen leaders that had to make hard decisions that would say to a second in command or something, well, I don't really want to get rid of this person. You go do it. I don't want to look him in the eye. You, you go take care of this or you authority go have a hard and, conversation. Brian, authority and responsibility are two sides of the same coin. The moment that you surrender your responsibilities, you surrender your authority. 100% agree. Because Marshall. they are the same thing. Authority means one thing and one thing only. It's your fault. That's right. That's you it. have to own it. Yeah. You, my, my dad always told me growing up, he said, one of the greatest things that my dad always told me, Marshall, he said, Brian, if you say it, own it. And my dad would punish my sisters and I greater for lying than, than the act itself. Same here. Yeah. Same here. And, but, uh, and so, yeah. And so, but what I say is miraculous about it is you ran a total grassroots campaign. Yes, sir. And it looks like the numbers are going to shake out the, to where you received almost 30,000 votes in our state. If the numbers come in the way that the, the, they're looking to be, which I think is absolutely astounding because everything that you and your team did was totally word of mouth, social media, friends calling friends and getting yes, involved. It was not, let's run 100 television ads. Let's not do this or that. You know, you didn't have a large war chest nope. to spend. And what you accomplished was simply unbelievable. And, and so when you look back, we're a couple of weeks out from this thing. And certainly from a presidential standpoint, it's not over yet. And, and in our state, we don't even, our state hasn't even certified the election for governor to, to my knowledge yet. As you look back at what you were at, at what you accomplished, I want to ask you two questions around that. What most surprised you, and what was the greatest lesson you learned from it? Well, it goes back to the first question you asked me, which was similar. You know, the uh, the thing that surprised me the most was that so many people were willing to simply cede authority for their lives over to, you know, Jim Justice or Ben Salengo. You know, these two people stood up now. I've characterized Jim Justice, and I think it's an accurate characterization, as an opportunistic authoritarian. What that means is he's just looking for an opportunity to be in charge. He has no ideology. People make a big deal about, well, he was elected as a Democrat. He was never a Democrat. I mean, he was a member of their party, but he was never a Democrat. And he's, he's never been a Republican. It well, it was the, what... it would, Marshall, let me, let me jump in here. It was, it was in all honesty, and this is, a, this is applicable to anybody listening, whether you're in business, leadership, or whatever. Our governor took the path of least resistance, to your point, to basically ascend 
to the governorship of this state. He knew he had the, the war chest to do it financially. And he, he saw the path of least resistance. And our state fell into a trap that really hurt us was we fell into the trap from a, from a state perspective of tiring of politicians making empty promises, right. saying one thing and doing something else. In a company, and, and I have a dear friend, Kristen Sherry, that says this. She says, employees do not quit companies. They quit leaders. Yes. And our, our state fell into that trap of we were, we were tired of our leaders continuing to fail us. And, and our current governor saw the path of least resistance and just waltzed right in there and, and sat, sat his rather large posterior in the governor's seat. And, and so, yeah, I, I just wanted to jump in there because I think what you said was so good was he, he, he saw an opportunity because he, he's opportunistic and wants to be in charge. Well, here's, here's another thought. Um, they're not our leaders. They're not. Yeah. The politicians are not your leaders. They work still a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. Yes, sir. The the governor's job is to govern the government. Okay, the chief executive, which is the governor, has only one responsibility, and that is to manage the executive branch in the name of the people, according to the legislation that they have established through their legislature. That's it. That's his entire purpose. So this issuing mandates to the people, he has no authority to do that. He's completely out of line. Telling people to call the police on their neighbors, completely out of line. No authority whatsoever. And, uh, you know, he's establishing a totalitarian state. And the problem is, Brian, the problem is, as I was saying a while ago, he was never a Democrat. He was never a Republican. He has no ideology. None. I've met the guy. I've talked with him. I've tried to have conversations with him. He doesn't believe anything. He just wants you to do what he tells you to do. Mm -hmm. Now, it, you know, leftist totalitarians have a very clear ideology. You can argue with them. They, they say things are this way, and you can say, here's evidence to the contrary. Jim Justice literally told me to sit down, shut up, and do what he told me to do, and here's the best part, and he would make a hero out of me. Wow. He literally told me that. And Marshall, but, let's 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 let me pivot here for just a quick second because I want to I want to be very respectful of your time. We have a limited amount of time left, but whether you're whether you're liberal, conservative, Democrat, Republican, moderate, independent, whatever you are, we must continue to have the the ability in this country when we are on opposite sides of an issue or multiple issues to have the ability to have reasoned and measured discussion. Yes, sir. Reason and measured discussion. Be well, here's we the thing. That. Here, here's, here's what's going on. It's no longer about left versus right. It's no longer about red versus blue, Republican versus Democrat, liberal versus conservative. It is now about the oligarchs versus the people. It's that simple. So what we need to do is we need to throw off the oligarchy, reestablish constitutional governance, and then have those discussions about left versus right, liberal versus conservative within the context of the Constitution. That's how we return civility to our government. What mm -hmm. we have now is we have a massive machinery that controls our society and a very small number of people who have their hands on the levers of control. 
what we need to do and what it was my intent to do had I won the election of governor. And once again, who knows? Maybe I did. Mm -hmm. Anyway, the thing is, my intent is to dismantle that machinery, disseminate the power according to the Constitution, and let the people run their government, make the government serve the people according to the Constitution. Uh, you know, then there won't be all of this angst because it won't be people fighting over ultimate control of the society. It will simply be people having discussions about specific policies within the context of a free and just society. That's what we're supposed to be doing. And let's be clear, that strategy works in all 50 states, works in every country on the planet. It works wherever human beings live because that's how human beings function. Yeah. We didn't get into your story. We, we will do another Intentional Encourager podcast because I want to I get into your story. But I want you to leave the folks today that are watching the news and things like that. And you can take this from a leadership perspective, a spiritual perspective, a pastoral perspective. You can speak to those things. I want you to leave the folks today, Marshall, with your biggest piece of intentional encouragement. Stand fast. Do not submit to the tyranny. If you simply uphold and defend your individual natural rights and those of your family and of your neighbors, we will win. It will be costly because we have already lost so much, because we have surrendered, because we have ceded so much control, and they are going to fight back. They will arrest you. They will end your business. They will do whatever they can to destroy you. But let me tell you something. They're going to destroy you anyway. So stand up. Thank you, sir. Well, and, and again, I think that translates to business. I think that translates to leadership. If you've got an issue with a leader in your company, stand fast, have that conversation with them. And, and because here's the thing, and I'll say this, and I don't want to, to jump on what you said was beautiful. We've got to understand that in order for us to continue to be treated as human beings, whether in business, personal, things like that, we have got to stand respectfully and say, listen, I disagree and I'm not backing down. I'm not going to get belligerent. I'm not going to get angry. I'm going to remain calm and tactical. Calm. Yeah. I will not comply. I will not comply. Absolutely. Very calmly, very, calmly, very respectfully. I My thanks as always comply. to producer well, Bryce. Very well Sexton, said. Marshall, let people know where they can connect with you. This has been a powerful thanks goes podcast. To the Lord Jesus let folks Christ know where they can connect Well, uh, every day I'm in the process of switching my until next social time, media remember, accounts every, over to uh, everywhere, the ones that are time and any place and be an intentional. Good way to put it. The best place probably is Parlor. Parlor.com, and then look me up at, at, do the at sign, S. Marshall Wilson, and I'd love to hear from you. He's still on Twitter. You can find him at S. Marshall Wilson as well, and on Facebook at S. Marshall Wilson. I would encourage you, if you you listen to this podcast and what Marshall has said has, has moved you or, or encouraged you, whatever, reach out to him and let him know that you heard it. Marshall, my friend, this has been riveting conversation. I appreciate you, you joining me today on the Intentional Encourager podcast. I really appreciate your time. Thank you, sir.